Hello and welcome again. We're uh, joined with Becky and Logan today, as always. And uh, just by way of introduction, Logan is going to be our writer today. He got, I don't know how, drew the short stick or whatever to be the writer for Easter. Um, uh, we get into this in later in our in our lesson, but I do want to start this podcast by saying Christ is risen. Amen. Christ Amen. is risen indeed. Christ is risen indeed. Christ is risen indeed. Uh, I I have trained everybody I ever know that if I say you, you know who's high church and low church based on yes, your right? yes. that. Where is your Catholic <laughs> sensibilities? Um, but anyway, so it, we're going to be in Luke uh, chapter twenty four. And uh, no, we're not going to be in Luke chapter 20. Yeah, we are. Yes, we yeah, are. We are. Luke chapter yeah, yeah, 24. Luke 24. Yeah, bring forth there. What Bible um, are you reading, son? It's been a, it's been a long week. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to let oh, Meg okay. and Logan introduce themselves to you one more time, and then we'll start in. Hi, I'm uh, Pastor Rebecca Zardi. I pastor a couple churches in Western Kentucky, Madisonville First Cumberland Presbyterian and Rose Creek Cumberland Presbyterian. You can also catch me bi-weekly Mondays and Fridays on my YouTube channel when we welcome you back to my porch. Logan. Hi, my name is Logan Dixon. I am the host of the Monday Morning Megaphone podcast, and I am the co-host of the Culty Crimes and Criminal Minds podcast. Uh, go check those out. I have a new episode of the Monday Morning Megaphone every Monday morning. It drops at 6 a.m. Uh, and I just recorded a two-hour episode, almost two-hour episode with my friend Chance Snyder, where we talked about uh, G.K. Chesterton and his, uh, his work in orthodoxy and his yeah. contributions to the church at large. And so go check that out. The last episode that he was on, we talked about Dallas Willard. And to date, the Dallas Willard episode is the, is my most listened to episode. Um, nice. Also, uh, yeah, go follow my church Facebook page, Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Um, I will say this. I think G.K. Chesterton is who C.S. Lewis aspires to be. I love G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> I think he's the greatest. Well, it was all. Uh, Chance actually brought up was uh, some of G.K. Chesterton's arguments that sold Lewis on Christianity. Yes, it was. G.K. Cool. Chesterton is That's the cool. most, like, I read, uh, just accidentally, I picked up a G.K. Chesterton book, and I thought, I, I didn't know anything about him, and I, honest to God, I thought he was, like, in the 1980s or 1970s, like, it, but he wrote early 1900s, uh, but his arguments and his understanding of human nature, and it, it's incredible, like, I've never read anything like it. Um, I will say this, even though it has nothing to do with the lesson, there is a, like, you can go on Amazon, type in G.K. Chesterton 50 book collection, and you can get for, for Kindle, you, go, you only pay $1.99 and you get G.K. Chesterton's entire works. It's amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. I'm going to, I'm going to include a link to that in the description, even though it has nothing to do with the lesson, just because everyone needs to read Chesterton. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. Um, also, before we get completely into our lesson, I wanted to highlight uh, a response that we got for a discussion question a couple weeks mm -hmm. back, um, and the question was from the Zacchaeus lesson, and the question was, recall a life-changing conversation you had with Jesus. What was that conversation like, and are such conversations a regular occurrence or rare for you? And actually, it's one of the members of Becky's church that uh, responded, so I'm going to let Becky uh, highlight that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we definitely want you and invite you to participate in these discussion questions that we highlight each week. We love to see your responses, whether it's on our YouTube channel or whether you're commenting on one of our Facebooks. Um, so please, please join in that discussion. But Elizabeth Mitchell from one of my congregations, her response to that question was about five years ago in a Sunday school lesson that hit her hard about the command to observe the Sabbath. Uh, the change that it caused in her life turned her upside down in the absolute best way. She was just going about her life, communing with God, and then thought that was enough. But God told her to sit down or he was going to sit her down. She didn't sit down. Um, and knowing Elizabeth, for those of you that do know her, you know how much of a struggle this has been for her. But she praises God through this, that she failed and that she continues to work and hear God and allow God to work through her life. And thank you, Elizabeth, for joining in on that conversation. Awesome. 
It is awesome. Like we all have. So anyway, we do want this channel to become a place to where all of our uh, encounter users can come and they can um, interact with one another. So, um, so Luke chapter 24, the title of our lesson is Christ is risen indeed. And our uh, prayer for illumination, God of life, grant that our hearts would come alive in you as we hear your word read and proclaimed. In the name of your resurrected son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, both now and forever. Amen. Like those prayers. And then the memory verse from Luke 24, 5. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. All right. Awesome. And like I said, Logan, you are our writer today. So I'm going to let you start us in with the introduction. Okay. So this story um, that I, I included here, it happened about four years ago. I was working overnight at a gas station and I was going to a church and the, our church service didn't start until about 10, 30. So I got off at work I got off work at 7 a.m. And so if I like, if I like nodded off a little bit, I was going to sleep for, for all day. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to miss church, especially since it was Easter. So I had heard that the ministerial alliance in my hometown uh, was going to do a community Easter sunrise service. And so I thought, all right, well, I can go get my worship on a little early and not have to worry about uh, being, di being distracted and and they were also offering breakfast. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go worship and get something to eat. No yeah, brainer. So, exactly. <laughs> so it was hosted at the, at the United Methodist church and uh, good. Some, there's some good folks over there. And so we have a Cumberland Presbyterian church, United Methodist church, a free will Baptist church and one other church. And they they were all involved in this ministerial alliance. And so I think they let the uh, Cumberland Presbyterians do the music and then the pastor of the United Methodist Church preached. And um, she and I looked as I walked in, I got the order of service and I'm looking over it. And I'm like, OK, well, this is, you know, we're, we're doing the routine Easter stuff. We're, do, we're singing some resurrection hymns. I look at all the texts that are being read. John 21 through 18 is the text being read that day. So I'm like, all right, we're going to get a good service. So we sing, we do, we go through the liturgy, we have, uh, we have confession of sin, assurance of pardon, all that. And then the pastor gets up, the pastor gets up to preach. She reads her text. And then after she reads her text, I'm not even joking. There's no mention of Jesus at all up until almost close to the end. Mm -hmm. And the whole sermon was her talking about the church, the ministerial alliance, being able to feed hungry kids in the community through the backpack program and how people needed to give more because there were still needs that needed to be met. And, and like close to the end of the sermon, which was only like 10, maybe 15 minutes, she was like, you, she's like, in order to see the resurrection, you have to see it in the smiles of these children who receive their food, right? Oh, my goodness. And so, like, there was nothing, there was, like, there was no gospel there. There was no good news in the sermon whatsoever. And so after the sermon, they sing another song, and then they, and then she invites the uh, the guy who was pastoring the, the local Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I, I, like, I have to say this, it's, in, it's an situation. Like, those of you in our denomination, you know, works. Um, you can't always get a Cumberland Presbyterian to pastor a Cumberland Presbyterian Church. So the guy who's pastoring the Cumberland Presbyterian Church in my hometown is actually a free will Baptist, <laughs> but he's been there for like ever. And he's a great guy. Um, and I've, I've preached for him before, but he but he was there. And he got asked to give the closing prayer. And so he gets he stands up, gives the closing prayer and in closing prayer, preach gospel. Mm. Like. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins and resurrect and invite us into new life. And he goes through the whole spiel. Like his, his closing prayer is probably close to six or seven minutes long, but he's getting the gospel out there. And so 
after the after the service is over and we're all going back there to eat, I shake his hand and I say, thank you. Thank you for that prayer. And he just kind of smiles at me and goes, well, someone had to. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So like. And, and, and as sad as that situation was, I'm I'm sitting there thinking, how many other churches are doing this? Hmm. How many other churches are completely missing the gospel? Right. It's crazy, man. I think in a, uh, it was a podcast way long ago, we talked about um, organizations that founded by, you know, for religious purposes or means that have kind of uh, become just secular organizations that, um, and I I was recently doing, we're, the discipleship ministry team is bringing out a resource um, for churches uh, called Engage. And part of my job in that is to get together a Bible study for, you know, that program. And um, one of the things that I delve into is witnessing, like the Great Commission and Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses, whatever. And, and in our confession of faith, it says that you are witness in word and deed right word it's not just the the acts of mercy without the proclamation of the glory of god in jesus christ it's word and deed like you don't separate the two necessarily right and so um and and i'm afraid for whatever reason it's easy for christians to that uh that quote that uh, you hear often like preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words use words but yeah. it is necessary mm-hmm. to use words and to do the good works right like that's yeah. our witness and so um I, I appreciate that that uh that introduction for those reasons for mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking a lot but i got one more thing to say no go ahead no uh, go so anyway uh sunrise services are like the top notch on my list because it was a sunrise service in which in which I met Jesus and Jesus pulled me in. And so uh, mm. Easter worship services are, especially sunrise services, uh, I've never missed one, one, but no, I've never missed one. So anyway, um, I love them. I love them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Easter is, Easter is the, the WrestleMania Super Bowl World yeah. Series of the church. It is. And it needs And so yeah so i don't see how we can i don't see how we can miss the gospel especially on that day and then and then you've got like you've got ash wednesday so so like i'm i don't know if they're like this is probably going to be completely lost on y'all and this is probably going to be completely lost on our audience but but just in case it reaches that one guy i'm a pro wrestling fan so so, like, the road to WrestleMania begins with the Royal Rumble in January. Like, in order to get to WrestleMania in April, you got to start with the Royal Rumble in January because the Royal Rumble determines who's going to be in the main event at WrestleMania. Okay. So, for me, so for me, Ash Wednesday's our Royal Rumble. <laughs> A Royal Reckoning. How's that? Yes. <laughs> There we Man, go. That's gonna, there we that's go. gonna be my Ash Wednesday sermon next year. Thank Royal you. Royal Reckoning. Uh, so that's awesome. Yeah, so Ash Wednesday, that's that that's where we begin to posture ourselves for Easter. And then you get to Easter and you realize, okay, well, Jesus is risen and this matters. And somehow we somehow it's it's like we've especially in the evangelical world we've taught the resurrection so much and so long that it's, it's become white noise to us. And so I think that's why there are churches um, that try to do something special on Easter as if the resurrection isn't special enough, you know, because people mm-hmm. just don't rise from the dead. Right. So, so what happens is these churches try to plan these special things for Easter. Like they'll, they'll say, if you show up to your, to our church, you'll, you'll automatically be entered in a drawing to win a new car, or you'll, you know, you, you got gimmicks and programs to try to fill the, get butts and seats on Easter morning. So they can, so they can allegedly hear the gospel, but all you're giving them is like this pep talk because, you know, you don't want to go too long. People will get bored. 
and you get you get the worship band up there. They do the rock music. You get the pastor up there wearing his skinny jeans, preaching from a music stand instead of an actual pulpit. I don't even. Okay, I'm getting off into. He's, he's getting off. Our resident. You're getting worked up, Logan. Our resident. <laughs> okay, I got to calm down. But <laughs> but you get these gimmicks, right? And the gimmicks yeah. don't. The reason we turn to gimmicks is because we think the gospel is boring. That's ultimately what it is. We don't want to say that out loud, but we turn to those things because the gospel's not exciting enough and the gospel's not powerful enough. It is for me and it is for generations and the church. Amen. Yeah. Forever. All right. Becky, anything? Beautiful. No, I just, I really appreciated that. Um, I, I agree, Logan, that, that too often um, I don't think the gospel is preached from the pulpit and there's nothing more beautiful than our risen savior who invites us to participate with him and, and have eternal life. And there's, there's yeah. no better story. There's no better story to share. Like if you, if you think that, if you think that, that, teaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is just like elementary thing. It's just like elementary stuff and you need to move on to something else. Then you don't really know what it means. Mm. It starts and ends. It's, yeah. It's, and it's so powerful. It's so powerful. I think every year, even though I've been a Christian since I was a kid and I've heard these stories since I was a kid, Every year as my relationship grows with God, as, as I get deeper into scripture and, and deeper with God, it just becomes more powerful to me and just more beautiful. And I want to hear that story over and over again. What's that? Tell me that story of Jesus right on my heart, every word. She I just want to hear it. Tell the story. Yeah. I guess yeah. there's all kinds of good ones. No, it is <laughs> there good. are. There are. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's. How as, as I grow older and I experience more hurt and pain, Easter means a lot more to me too. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of is maybe a little backwards, but like when you're a kid and you're just fancy free, nothing bothers you, then, then you don't, or you haven't experienced the real pain in the world or the evilness mm. that's in the world. But the older I get, the more I experience, the more um, I, I love to hear the story. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, so I think we'll go on and Nathan, or why do I keep calling you Nathan? It's the beard. I work with Nathan. <laughs> anyway, uh, Logan, uh, the Exploring the Scripture uh, historical and contextual setting. Set us up. I love this. Yeah. This illustration. Yeah, so our, our Sunday school curriculum is based on the narrative lectionary. And unfortunately, the narrative lectionary skips over the burial of Jesus. Um, this year. And what okay, well, it hits it on other years. Well, this year it skips over the burial of Jesus. And I think by skipping over that, we miss out on the story of Joseph of Arimathea. And it's such an interesting story. Um, Joseph of Arimathea is a member of the Sanhedrin. He is, you know, um, a middle, middle to upper class kind of guy. He, know, he has the right connections. He is, he is the ideal person in so, uh, of that society, right? Um, and so he's, and so it's crazy that he's getting involved with Jesus, at least from a secular standpoint, because the Pharisees don't like him, the Sadducees don't like him, the scribes don't like him. You know, Jesus is just this revolutionary, and in due time, his movement's going to fade out. That least that they think, and so Joseph Arimathea, he cannot, he cannot let other people know that he's getting on board with Jesus, um, but he's starting to he's starting to buy into everything Jesus is saying. He's starting to believe everything. Uh, the Gospel of John describes him as someone who was secretly a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Luke twenty three tells us that he was a good and just man who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so what happens is Joseph Arimathea, he, like any good Jew, he provides for his family and he buys this burial plot. Now, here's what we have to understand. We, you know, we, we leave death and everything revolving around death to the funeral home. We don't like to touch that. 
Um, there's just no place for it in our society. So we leave that all to the funeral, but planning your funeral, planning where you were going to be buried, this was a family event in Joseph Farmathea's day. So this was just a normal part of life. And so what Joseph Farmathea did is he buys this family tomb. He's going to be buried there when he dies. His wife and kids are going to be buried there when they die. So, and when Jesus dies, what he does is because he believed in everything that Jesus said, he actually volunteers for Jesus to be buried in his family tomb. That's profound. It's Mm. profound for a couple different reasons. Because if you, if you're someone who believes that Jesus is going to resurrect, like he said he was going to, then this is your show of solidarity with Jesus. I'm taking him into my family plot, but he's not going to stay there. The the McCamies Mm. have this, the McCamies have this Southern gospel song that came out in like the late eighties, early nineties. And I love it. It's called a borrowed tomb. You know, they placed my savior in Joseph's tomb and they saw that the seal was sure. And I'm going to start singing it, but, but the, but the, the point of the song was that Jesus had a borrowed tomb and, and we also have borrowed tombs. Mm. And and because Jesus, because Jesus had a, had a borrowed tomb, we can also have borrowed tombs. And that's fascinating to me. And Joseph is a fascinating Joseph is a fascinating person. Yeah. Uh, I there, to highlight a, the thing that I really I love this. If you don't mind me, I just want to read it. It's no, go ahead. I kind of, I guess Tom Air Jr. Um, mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. sermon series, the most fascinating people. He says Joseph carries uh, Jesus's lifeless body to the tomb. And still he is waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom. It seems to me that if there were ever a moment in history when it might be difficult to trust that God's kingdom would ever come, it would be this moment when Jesus lies dead in Joseph's arms. But Joseph, even in this moment, is waiting expectantly for the kingdom, uh, for God's way to live, uh, is waiting expectantly for the kingdom, for God's way to live among us, for God's life to be claimed among us. I yeah. never thought of it that way, but like, you know, that just, was powerful. You do. I mean, like this, this Messiah, you're putting in a grave. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the discussion question or not the discussion question, but um, you bring up, you know, when you were writing this, it was a couple days after the election and, and social media is on fire. Protests are going around everywhere. You, you think the whole world is blowing up and you say, mm-hmm. feel like, do we have the same feeling that Joseph may have when they're, when Joseph is carrying that dead body? Um, sometimes it feels like, what hope do we have? Like, is yeah. this just really, I mean, what, what hope do we have in this world? Love that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like if, if Joseph can carry, it can carry Jesus's body to the tomb and still expect the kingdom. And we should be able to live the, through the turmoil and chaos of the world and still expect kingdom. Yeah. So Amen. It's, you know, it's really, it's really profound when you think about it, because we live in a culture of death. We live in a culture of death. You know, we, the abortion clinics mm. are full. We've got people, you know, wanting to offer assisted suicide to senior citizens you got people shooting up massage parlors, theaters, you know, you, we live in a culture of death. And uh, I don't know if it was Chesterton or somebody in Chesterton's time period, but uh, not to plug my own stuff again, but Chance actually brought this up too in our talk about Chesterton. He said that someone who lived around Chesterton's time actually predicted that in the future, there will be in, there will be suicide booths right next to phone booths for people yeah. who just want to voluntarily end it all. And Chesterton, I don't think Chesterton would have an image, but it wouldn't be like that. But yeah. someone, but someone around that time period predicted yeah. that. And what's what's morbid, what's morbid and kind of humorous is that if you've ever watched the cartoon Futurama, that was made by the same people who make yeah. The Simpsons, in the very first episode, there is a suicide booth. Yeah. Like uh, Bender tries to go in the suicide booth with Fry so they can get a two for one deal, right? <laughs> and so, and so it's morbid and it's kind of funny in, when you put it in Futurama's context. 
But man, when you bring that into real life and think about how, think about how, think about how death centric people are, mm-hmm. man, that's scary. It's scary. Death centric and at the same time, death denying or death ignoring. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's yeah. just, it, yeah. It's intriguing. It's intriguing. I'm, I'm with you, Chris. I, the things that you highlighted were the same things that I underlined. I mean, they were just, it was so, so powerful to have this imagery of, of Joseph carrying this lifeless body to the tomb and lying it in the tomb. To me, that, that just whole thought process of watching this man take our Lord and Savior's body off the cross and, and carry it in his arms to this tomb where no one has laid. And then that question that you asked, um, you're right, Logan, how, how can we, thinking in that context, how can we act in faith like Joseph in our dark world? And I think that's the place that we need to explore, especially this Easter, you know, with all this stuff happening in our world around us, how can we personally share that faith, share that light and act like Joseph in, in regards to whatever's happening in the world around us. And I think it's very important for us as followers, as believers to remember, and like you said earlier, Chris, that it's, it's not just, it is our words, but it's also our actions, that it's both. It's we need to preach the gospel and we need to be the gospel in the dark world around us. And, and you know, here's the thing. like we we enjoy easter sunday the reason we're supposed to enjoy resurrection morning the reason we're supposed to enjoy easter so much is because lent is that time where we walk through death yeah and and i and i don't feel like i would have had to have talked so much about jesus being buried here if i were confident in our in our church's ability to, to do lent rightly yeah, because Lent has become in in a lot of the churches that do Lent, it's become this rote thing that we do every year, and we just do it for the sake of tradition. Or Lent lights, um, we do Lent lights. <laughs> right, and and but but whenever you do Ash Wednesday and that begins Lent, Ash Wednesday is that time where you you really think about death. You really think about uh, you know from dust you came to dust you shall return. And, and, and you spend Lent in that season of thinking about the consequence of sin. And then when you get to Easter, then you can celebrate because, because that's where Jesus sets you free from all that stuff. I think there's the, the fasting element in Lent that, um, that I, I wish people would take serious in the sense of this, like, we say, like you, you said, we're in a, in a death culture, uh, and it, and we point out the things that are obvious, right? The suicides or these kinds of things. But I think the death culture also extends to just our excessive use of materials and materialism and our drive for entertainment and these kinds of things. Like that's a death culture in a sense of we're mm-hmm. finding our value, pleasures, and even our purposes and meanings in, in that which we can see, taste, touch. Yeah. Right. And so, like, I think that's part of a death culture because all the materials that we use are disposed of as soon as we don't need them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and so, uh, Lent, I do believe that that fasting aspect, even if it's not the, the food, even if it is the giving up or giving away or, or just saying, wow, my life is completely cluttered and it hasn't given me life, it's brought me death. It's like when you realize your cell phone hasn't, and, in, in, you know, even though you can, find like more information on your cell phone than all of the world's libraries in the past 2000 years. It's also consumed your mind and given you anxieties and all kinds of other things. It's bad. And so I think that's part of what we say as a culture of death. And so like, if we, if we can step away from that culture, that material driven culture, a disposable culture, and we soak in eternal life, life abundant, I think uh, Easter does make a big Mm-hmm. I mean, it's awesome, right? <laughs> and I think another th- thing, another thing, I should have probably clarified this before I start. Before I brought up Lent, is that there is there is godly death, and then there's ungodly death, right? Ungodly death is the culture of the world, right? 
So ungodly death has no meaning. You use something, you throw it away. You know, death is just a death is just a casual thing. Anyone can, you know, death doesn't really have any meaning. But godly death has meaning. Matter of fact, in Christ, death has meaning. So, like, if you're if you're just living out in the world, if you don't know Jesus, if you're if you're a non-Christian, death is the end. But if you're in Christ, death is the gateway to life, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that and that works on different levels. So, like, fi- so like physical death is a gateway to eternal life in heaven with with Jesus. Now, when it comes to now when it comes to dying to yourself, that's a gateway to life too. Because you, you know, you die to your desires, you die to your flesh, you die to sin. That's a gateway to life because you're turned on immediately to the things of God. And you, 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 it's like, it's like what repentance is supposed to be really, because repentance is supposed to be a change of mind that, you know, that leads to a change of action. So your sin is over here and you're just drawn to your sin. You're born in a condition where you drift towards sin and that's what you naturally do on your own. And then repentance is turning around and looking at Jesus and seeing that life is over. I think that pushes us into the digging deeper section because that's when you mm-hmm. bring up the mm-hmm. if then and the set your mind on things above, not on things below mm-hmm. section. So um, I'll let you just jump into that. Uh, I like Yeah, I so... Like put this in I, i'm sorry i know we're recording but i have to do something about my dog she's getting she's whining just to Go say ahead. get her done um well i'll just start with uh with becky here um, yeah like I, I think what logan was leading into uh well he might be back to to go ahead and go ahead and tell us get us in that dig, digging deeper section there logan In a second. As soon as he unmutes. Right. Yeah. So, sorry. <laughs> In First Corinthians chapter 15, uh, Paul really lays out his defense for the resurrection. And that, that really is a key text in, in defending what happened. So... As a matter of fact, if you're preaching from the lectionary, that's that's the epistle reading for this Sunday. So Paul uses the Old Testament. He goes to the scriptures. If you're a nerd, you would call this presuppositional apologetics. He goes straight to the he goes straight to the text, the Old Testament text, because obviously he doesn't have the New Testament. He's writing the New Testament. He might not even know that he's writing the New Testament, but he is. And he's using the Old Testament text to say, look, these scriptures talk about the messiah in this way jesus does all of this and jesus resurrects just like the text says and matter of fact he uses the phrase as the scripture says two or three times in that whole diatribe and so he and and then on top of the textual proof as if that wasn't enough he goes into the eyewitnesses and says these these apostles were witnesses to this over 500 people saw Jesus while he was alive before he ascended. Uh, and then he says, I myself, as an apostle, as one born out of due season, I saw him. I, I identified him. And what he's talking about there is he's talking about that experience he had on the road to Damascus. Now, this is interesting, too, because in Acts chapter 9, where Paul talks about his Damascus Road experience, a skeptic might look at that and say, oh, well, Paul was hallucinating, or Paul saw a ghost, right, if you believed, if they might believe in the ghost thing. You know, Paul saw a spirit, or Paul saw a ghost. No, he saw Jesus, like he saw Jesus bodily. If he didn't see Jesus bodily, he would have said that, but he didn't. He said, I saw Jesus, and because I saw Jesus, I know he's not dead. Mm-hmm. so and so paul doesn't stop there in in 1520 if, if in 1520 to 26 he explains that adam the first human was god's prototype for mankind adam failed to keep up the covenant he you know he sinned against god and of course you know god laid out from the beginning what was going to happen 
in in go back to yeah. Genesis, God said, "All right, if you do this, you're going to die." Yeah. Adam and Adam, you know, he agreed to the terms and conditions, right? He agreed to the apple terms and conditions. Sorry, I had to. Um, so, and what happened is he broke the terms and conditions. He inherited death. And Jesus comes along as the second Adam. Paul even identifies him as the second Adam. Mm -hmm. And Jesus comes and he does all of the things that Adam failed to do. And... And so whenever, G whenever Jesus comes and does all of those things that Adam fails to do, he proves that he himself is the better prototype for humanity. He's fully mm -hmm. human. He's fully God. And he creates a way that we can follow him. And in following him, we become what he is. And, and, and it's to the point that it, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to say that theosis is the answer to all of that. If you're a theological nerd and know what that is. You know, I don't want to say that theosis is the answer to all that, but I will say that in First John chapter 3, it's to the point that John himself even says that when he appears, I don't know what we'll be like, but I know we'll be like him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so apart from, yeah, okay, go ahead. Well, no, you go ahead. What you were. I was just going to say that apart from Christ, humans drift towards sin, death, and everything else that opposes God. And then, and then Jesus provides us a way through his life, death, and resurrection that we can, we can defeat the drift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you put that really well on page 34, if you're reading the encounter. On page 34, Logan says, the wages of sin are death, which comes from Romans 6, 23, meaning that death has a legal right to everything affected by sin. But Jesus wasn't affected by sin. He was completely sinless, so it wasn't impossible for death to hold him we are sinful so the only way for us to escape death is by trusting in jesus and that was beautifully beautifully stated um because that is our only way that is our that is our only option if we want to escape death if we want to escape that judgment our only option is to trust in jesus yeah like you you see this uh, i'm breaking out my bible here um you see this in Acts chapter two in Peter's sermon, because Peter, mm -hmm. Peter lays out for, for like, as emotional as Peter is, Peter can be, Peter can be very logical. And he was very logical on the day of Pentecost, whenever he was preaching, he says, um, man, I should have found this passage before I, before I brought it up. I think it's in 22. Yeah. He says, uh, Acts 2.22, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. And then here's verse 24. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. And so Peter points out that Peter points out that Jesus had to resurrect like the Jesus couldn't just stay dead logically because death, death holds everything by sin. That's the agreement. Like it's almost, it's almost like, it's almost like God has a contract with death and says, all right, everything that's affected by sin can go to you. And then Jesus comes along. He's the son of God. He's the second member of the Godhead. He has no sin whatsoever. He has no sin whatsoever. And so he dies, but then God says, no, you can't keep him. He, there's no sin there. And so he has to rise from the dead. And maybe I'm not, I don't know, maybe that analogy doesn't work. I'm not sure. In the sense of that, you got it right in the sense of if you have that contract with death kind of thing, but Jesus doesn't fit in that contract. He's not bought by death. And then those of us in with faith are united with Christ. We're in Christ. We put on Christ. And, and so in that sense, we, we cannot be contained by death anymore. Right. We, 
Right. We experience that mystical union with Christ. And that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that would be the extension of Easter. Like Christ is risen, mm-hmm. given, but also we're in Christ. Like, um, and that's a theological point that's worth discovering and worth pursuing in, in your church because in Christ or adopted as children of God, all these kinds of things are, are, are connected with the resurrection. It's not something that happens outside of you, but you become part of the, these things. You, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or as, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, well, you're, your life becomes, whenever you're united to Christ by faith, your life becomes hidden in him. Hidden with so, yes. so whenever you're, so according to Romans 6, baptism marks that death with Christ. Right. Uh, so you're united to Christ by faith and you die with him. And, then and so raised. whenever he, whenever he's raised, you rise with him. Correct. Um. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to go on to that learning from the scripture section. I, I really did appreciate this too. Um, and you kind of started out talking about the liturgy. And, and like I said, I have um, every Easter Sunday, I have a list that I add to, I think 120, pe- 120 <laughs> people get a text message that says Christ is risen. And then I just wait the day out. <laughs> Christ is risen indeed. These are people who are not Christians. These are people who are Christians. These are people that I, and, and I just, I have trained everybody in my life to at least respond to Christ is risen indeed. Um, and in a small way, and, and they get the text at like 430 in the morning. Terrible. But that's awesome. That's awesome. Way, just on an offshoot, it's, it is my way of, of witnessing. Like yeah. I'm not doing it just to, I'm doing it for two reasons. I'm doing it. One, I care about the person that I'm texting and two, Christ is risen. And they need to know that. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Whether yeah. they believe it or not, I don't know, but they need to know it. <laughs> and they give me a pass because I'm a preacher. Right. So there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, you start out with that, but tell us where you're going and, and what did you want us to take from that? Man, this is just filler. So, <laughs> no, I. No, this was I, so, so I, important. This section was important. <laughs> no, so the liturgy is important because if you remember my inter, my if you remember my story, what protected what kept us on par with the gospel wasn't the sermon, obviously, but it was the fact that the gospel was being preached through our hymns. It was being preached through the confession of sin and the assurance of pardon. It was being preached through the scripture readings. The liturgy protected us that day. Mm-hmm. And that's important because as, as badly as that pastor messed it up, I could also mess it up one day. Yeah. And the only thing that's going to sure. protect my congregation in that instance is the liturgy. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think that is yeah. important actually right luther luther hit the nail on the head someone asked luther one time why do you preach the gospel to your people every sunday he said because they forget it every monday right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. we're forgetful people go ahead becky what you got there i i really liked the whole idea of liturgy i think um maybe we've had this in private conversation before but i know i've had this in conversation with my congregations as well as I really struggled with liturgy um, from the background that I came from. I was like, why do I need people telling me what to say? You know, and I really had a problem with that. And it really wasn't until I took a class at pause um, shout out to Tiffany McClung for that class um, that really opened me up to the possibility and the idea of what liturgy is, what it represents and how important that is in our worship service. Um, and, you know, as a good CP, uh, it's across the board, whatever congregation I have gone to, whatever congregation I have worshiped with, some are very heavy on liturgy and some are not. Um, either which way, it's important. It's that whole idea of when we're saying the liturgy, when we're reading this, when we're making this prayer, 
that we're praying this together as a corporate body, that we are lifting our words together to the foot of the throne of God and saying, this is, this is what we're saying together. This is our prayer together this morning. Um, and I really appreciated what you had to say about the liturgy. And it's well, my church teaching in a 40 minute service, 45 minute service. I mean, say like, that again, cause you broke up. I said, it's a 2000 year teaching. It's 2000 years of teaching in a 45 minute service every week. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy. Like, um, the the impact of the liturgy if you follow it week week to week um i I go to different churches and i'm always i'm shocked because like at the margaret hank church for instance we were pretty high liturgically um but i thought about all the worship elements that we did and i preached for 20 minutes probably but the stuff that we could do and the worship that we did we it was crammed full and then i go to like some services that are more low church and you can get a prayer two hymns and a sermon in the same amount of time. And I think, you know, just like I like the liturgy because it gives structure and and you can continually be, you just, you get more worship done in some mm-hmm. way. I don't know how to explain it in any other way. Right. I don't know, but I, anyway, I, that's one reason why I appreciate the liturgy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I um, think part of friend, the, go ahead, Logan. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I think part of the issue with liturgy is we don't, as pastors, um, and, and I'm really placing the blame on, on us, is we don't educate our congregations on liturgy and the importance that it represents. Because um, in talking with a lot of people, it's, they don't understand the purpose behind the liturgy. They don't understand the intent and the meaning and, and if you're teaching this lesson, you know, I really encourage you to, to really dive into liturgy and why it's done in corporate worship and maybe educate, you know, start with your Sunday school class. If that's, if that's all the liturgy, you're in a church that's a, a low liturgical church and you don't have a whole lot of that, you know, maybe that's a good place to start is introduce some element of liturgy within your Sunday school class um, and then bring it up to your pastor because it is very, it is incredibly important and it's a beautiful and here's, here's what I would say to pastors who are struggling to work with their session on, on liturgy because I've been there before. If you're, if, if you're, if you go to your session and say, Hey, I want to move to a more liturgical format, or I want to add this to the worship service. And they start, you know, saying, well, that's too Catholic or whatever. Just, just start with a simple question. I'm your pastor. Do you trust me? Yeah. <laughs> and there's plenty, Do you, you know, and at the same time, there's plenty of pastors that don't see any need for it at all, which right. is I'm good with. I, but right. I, I would say that, like, I don't know. It. I was not a liturgical person. I was trained in, in um, you know, the Church of Christ tradition, actually, with the uh, Johnson University, and, and I, but I discovered it, and I'm glad I did. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Isn't it crazy that just just as a side note, isn't it crazy that you two were Church of Christ? I was Pentecostal, and now we're all three in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Well, I was never necessarily Church of Christ. I was just trained that way. I I was a sideline at best, but just my introduction to how to preach and worship services and stuff was was first done through uh, this Church of Christ Christian Church. Uh, background uh, but i'm glad i no offense to nobody but i'm glad i grew out of that <laughs> I mean, I mean, but no i what i was going to say was my my southern baptist homeboy clayton what if you're watching this brother i love you uh he he has been introducing the apostles creed to his church and he's been getting them to say it every sunday as part of their liturgy and the and people will come to him and say, why are we doing this every Sunday? We did it last week. Why are we doing this every week? He said, because you have, and, and the way he explains it to him is that you have, you people as a congregation, you have to learn to preach the gospel to each other, right? Mm-hmm. So when you get into Ephesians chapter five, Paul tells to, Paul tells the congregation there at Ephesus to admonish one another. Yeah. with hymn songs and spiritual spiritual songs right 
So it's not the pastor's job to simply admonish the church. It's like it's not like the pastor is up here on the platform and the rest of the congregation is down here. And and Paul's vision is not simply the pastor saying this every week and doing this every week and then the congregation receiving it. Paul's vision for the church is the congregation coming together and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so the liturgy is important. Responsive readings are important because it's teaching the congregation to preach the gospel to one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll say this too, just singing in general. We're kind of getting off to like worship boards and I don't want to do that, but like responsive readings. Okay, so one of the things I loved about the church christ church was they didn't have music and the reason why i say i like that is because they took that serious so if you were a kid in church christ church you learned your part you learned how to sing with one another and become a harmonious unit and so if you go to a church that does not do unison readings very well or like for instance since i'm preaching over three, right i have a certain cadence cadence uh, and a certain rhythm that they're not used to and it's taken six or seven months but we now if i do a responsive reading or something everybody knows when to come in everybody knows their part everybody and there's something when you're singing when people know their parts and they know how to yes to um join in god's body like in some sense we're also practicing how to become the body of christ by simply yeah. interacting and learning our roles and learning learning so that's another thing that i like about yeah the, the um and then this that's singing liturgy, liturgy or whatever else it's just church mm -hmm. is a practice of becoming the body of christ and worshiping yeah as the body of christ yeah because we're going to get to worship together forever right so yep. we need to we need to take some steps to learn that now all right so i'm going to switch us into the uh, applying the scripture section and i don't mind sitting here for a second or two but um and it, we, we've already touched on it a little bit with our culture of death. And I think Ernest Becker probably wrote this well in our denial of death. I think it gets to what we're, what, anyway, go ahead, Logan. Uh, yeah. So we have, a, we have a major problem with, with death. Like we can't really seem to get around it and it affects everybody mm -hmm. and everything. And Jesus comes to provide the solution to death. And it's like, okay, well, we're looking for a solution to the, to the death problem that everyone experiences. But then Jesus comes along and says, well, I'm the solution to that problem. And we say, all right, well, we, want, we want any solution but that one. Right. And so, and so that's really where we're at. That's where Easter puts us. Easter puts yeah. us at a place where we have to be confronted with the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And that means something. Because even though it's like in the previous section, uh, Lewis wrote that Christianity is a statement, statement which, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is, is, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I love that quote. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's where the resurrection puts us. The resurrection is either supremely important or it's, or it's not important at all, but it's not just moderately important right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely uh, so the when it comes to applying the scripture in that regard we want to put off death we want to put it away from us mm -hmm. but when you get down to the history of funeral homes and you get down to the history of death in america historically speaking the family was always involved in death people and yeah. you know we had and not only that, but we lived in a time like in the wild, wild west, you know, where they had public executions like death was death was just a common part of life. Right. And I think and I think part of the reason for that and people could give me feedback or people could argue with me on it. But I think part of the reason that it was such a big part of life back then was because we had an understanding of resurrection like this isn't final. This is just part of it. And so, like, even in the case of public executions, if some, even in the case of public executions, let's say, you know, because I'm, I'm sure if you had a public execution of someone for whatever crime they committed, the common assumption was that they were an unbeliever. Even there, there was even a resurrection for them, but it was a resurrection of judgment. And oh. so death was, 
And so death was just a part of the culture because we understood that, that it wasn't the end of the road. Well, now that we've moved into such a secularized society where, the, where you know, people reject God on every hand, death is the end of the road, and we don't want to be confronted with that reality. This, this will be my preaching moment. Um, so Go ahead. Yeah. I became a Christian on Easter 2000 and whatever it was, 1999, 2000, right? And then uh, my brother died on Easter in 2008, right? And I thought to myself, well, if you're going to die, Easter's probably not the worst time just for the symbol right. and all that jazz. So I carried that on. And so as a preacher, you get to do a lot of funerals, right? You hear a lot about death and all that jazz. And, and the, the, I don't know when this thought came to me, but at some point in time, like throughout the history of humanity, not a single person, I mean, okay, whatever, a couple people got to go up on, you know, got pulled up into heaven, but you know, Jesus and like three other people are the only ones who have ever gotten out alive, so to speak, right? That we know. So <laughs> Every single person you've ever known has died. Every single person, every, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody has died. Yeah. And I always thought, why does it catch us so off guard? Even when you have like a grandparent or something who has been sick forever, when you get that phone call that says they passed away, nothing in your body wants to accept that. It, so, so I thought about the original theology of things like, I, or when people say things like, well, we're just living to die, or I'm one cl step closer to death. We're not, we weren't created to die. Uh, originally, we were created to live forever in communion with God. And that's the only thing I can say to myself that when, when we're still shocked, we get a phone call that somebody dies. At this point in life, it should just be like, yep. <laughs> you know, like, so-and-so died. True. Like, so common. But our we were created to be living beings forever. And so it's always shocking when, when, when we die or somebody, I should say when we die, <laughs> but when somebody dies, it's just shocking. And it's at that point to where we should realize, I think I was preparing for a funeral one time and I thought none of us are supposed to experience this. This is why death, like death is the symbol of, of ultimate evil because you no longer have communion with that person right yeah that's it's, true that's true and well, so death is overcome by jesus christ and he restores us not just from our sins he restores us to our humanity that was never supposed to die in the first place and, mm. and that's been kind of my whenever i do a funeral i point that out like we're we're weeping because this isn't supposed to happen this is not mm -hmm. supposed to happen we're never supposed to gather and weep like this uh, but we messed up but thanks be to god and jesus christ we're restored to our true humanity. And, and one day the weeping will stop, right? There, yes. As you were talking, I was kind of reminded in a, in a, of a scene in a movie. Now, as a pastor, I cannot recommend this. So whatever you do, don't go look up Seth MacFarlane's A Thousand Ways to Die in the West. Yeah, no, don't that's... watch it. Yeah, it's, it's a terrible movie. But there's a, uh, there's a scene where the this large horse and buggy crane or whatever because it takes place in, in the wild west it, there's there's a scene where this horse and buggy crane is carrying this huge block of ice and there's like four guys lifting it up and trying to position it in this large place and uh there's two kind of cowboy looking guys over across the road having a conversation about how they do that and they're like so how do you get a piece of ice that big and the other guys just casually talking about how they might how they make huge ice blocks and then all of a sudden the rope snaps and it crushes this guy's skull right and it's like this violent scene and they're like whoa that just happened and like everyone is taken aback at least those two guys are taken aback but the other guys who were working with them they just keep on working like it's no big deal because it's just death is part of life right death is part of life yeah. it is part of life but it's still shocking. it is that's the yeah. thing still shocking you still don't like it like right yep. right and then the last thing that i'll say and then i'll shut up for the rest of the time but like what my everybody's experienced death and pain of, of a loved one but what i think what I, as i grow older um 
I used to be really into like justifying the gospel in human terms in the sense of it makes you a better person and the can make the world better and all that jazz. And as I grow older, I'm just like, no, it, I'm going to see my brother again. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the gospel. Like Christ. Right. Is death. And, and so I, I don't get to, and, and that's a simple faith. And, and I used to criticize that kind of faith that like, oh, they just won't like the I'll live forever card. And I'm like, yeah, actually, yeah, that's it. I do like that. <laughs> it's a pretty good idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, as a believer, I, I don't know, some might disagree with me on this, but, but I read 1 Corinthians 15. Because if you, if you really pay attention to the lesson, I basically just walk through 1 Corinthians 15 okay. uh, all the way to the end. And I'm kind of with Paul. Like, I feel like if, if you're a believer and you truly believe in the resurrection and you believe this stuff is real, then in some sense, you can mock death. In some sense, it's a big joke. Um, it's like, man, I believe in Jesus. You know, I, I can give the middle finger to death. Yeah, where's your state? Yeah, and, and I guess that's the yeah. thing. And it takes some faith to get there. And, and uh, But anyway, I, I, I grew up. Opinion that the yeah. of Jesus Christ risen is amazing. Like I yes. think it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I, I grew absolutely. up. I, I grew up at a time where, well, my grandpa, you know, my grandpa was a pastor. He, and on top of that, he just knows a lot of people. And so he's, and so he was always doing funerals. He was always doing funerals. Like, so when I was like three or four, I was exposed to all this stuff at a very early age. Like I'm four years old and I'm using my GI Joes to put on mock funerals. That's just like people, people might think, well, that's sick, man. You shouldn't have been exposed to all that. No, it was actually yeah. very healthy. Yeah. It was actually very healthy because it, because I think that's kind of, that's kind of where my theology of death got started. Because mm-hmm. I was come because even because I was going to all these funerals, but I was also hearing the gospel. Mm-hmm. I was hearing the fact that death isn't the end, and so I can, and so I can kind of say with Paul, "Oh, death, where is your sting? You're it's mm-hmm. it's nothing to me, man. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna when I when I die, I want there to be a big celebration, man. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, <laughs> I want." Man, I want there to be a praise break at my funeral. I want people to shout, run the aisle, speak in tongues. I just want that to be a big old worship service. Uh, yeah, I think about it. See, I'm the exact opposite. I want the old time service. I've even thought about donating <laughs> to a symphony orchestra just so that I can make people sit and listen to the mass by like, you know, Mozart. <laughs> I'm a snob. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, yeah. Well, what, let's uh, go ahead and end it up, and uh, and just uh, give us some parting shots. Since it's Easter and people are preparing for their Easter message, so let's give some encouragement to our preachers. And, uh, Absolutely, Becky. You I think I think we should close with with our discussion question that ends our our lesson today, something to ponder about, something for all of us to think about, but what does the resurrection, what does that do to your life today? How does it make a difference in your life today? And I pray that as you are excited about Easter and as you're getting ready to enter your worship service and to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, that it makes every difference in your life, um, including how you think about death. Logan, what you got? You know, uh, for you preachers and teachers going into Sunday, death isn't the end. Don't forget the gospel. Jesus has come to give us life and life on every front. Like, or as Jesus put it in John 10, life and life more abundantly. So what that means is you can, you can turn from sin. You can turn from rebellion. You can always come home. And whenever you come home, you get you know, you get the goods, right? Don't forget the goods on Sunday morning. Get up in the pulpit and preach Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, because that's, that's all we got, man. That's all we got. Um, so I, the, the other thing that the resurrection does, like, I don't know, like 
with what I've told y'all about, you know, I just, I, I look forward to knowing that this isn't it. And I see, I see people I love. And then there's also a sense in me that I don't think I've ever lived a day of life fully human, fully perfect. And I can't wait to experience a, a time in which I'm not battling with myself or sin. Mm, and I am amen. living the abundant life in Christ. I no eyes seen, ear heard, heard, or neither entered the thoughts of man's glorious things, which God has for those, you know. And I look forward to it. And so hope, hope is what resurrection does for me. Um, Amen. And so preachers, go forth, Sunday school teachers. Um, it's a hopeful day, even in the midst of death, Christ will mm-hmm. risen. So Christ thank you all very much. Indeed. God bless y'all, and we will see you on the writer next week. So y'all are back to me. Uh, God bless y'all. <laughs>